Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. A few years after I came to discover that Jesus is the Messiah, I left the synagogue and I entered into the Christian world. And when I entered into the Christian world, one of the things that I found quite fascinating was the fascination that people had with the Jews. It was very interesting for me, being a Jew and going into various churches, especially when people knew that I was going to be coming there in advance, it was very interesting to see people's behaviors and attitudes as if they were amazed that a Jew came to know Jesus as the Messiah. Sometimes I still get phone calls or letters where people contact me and they say, I am so amazed that I am actually encountering or I'm having a conversation, or I have found a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And I love those kinds of comments because I have the opportunity to reply by saying, and I also am so amazed that a Gentile knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And of course, that's a real big opportunity for humor because people generally don't realize that it's just as amazing for a Gentile to believe in Jesus as the Messiah as it is for a Jew to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. You know, when the church first got started, there were no Gentiles who believed in Jesus. The early church was composed of Jews exclusively. It wasn't discovered until many years later that a Gentile could actually be saved. There were Gentiles who got saved, but the way that they did that was they converted to Judaism first, and then they could be saved. That was the doctrine of the church well up into Acts chapter 11. But regardless of that, there's always been this odd fascination with the Jews. There's always been this fascination with the Jewish people, And in many cases, people have attempted to be like Jews or to become Jews just because of this fascination that people have wanted to participate in the things of Judaism and of Israel because they are fascinated by it, because there are some very attractive traditions and things that take place within the culture that people just want to participate in. But there are other motives that normally draw people to Jews and draw people to Judaism. And these motives have to do with what our God declared to the nation of Israel in terms of their obedience to the law. That if the Jews were obedient to the commandments that God gave, then he would bless them. And this certainly does have quite an appeal. If you can imagine being able to obtain the divine blessings of God in your life, it can certainly be quite appealing. And if you're hanging out with some of the Jews, then you might also be the recipient of some of these blessings, if anything, just indirectly because you're part of the community. For example, it is clear that the living God has been participating in the lives of the Jews for a long time, that he has been participating in their lives in what they are doing. For example, when the nation of Israel was first established, the Jews were, of course, just one tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel, but as a result of the captivity and the return 
of the people from captivity. The Jews were the predominant people of the tribes that survived. But the reality is, is that God was participating. He has been participating in the lives of the Jews ever since he originally established the nation of Israel. And so if we know that the living God is participating in the lives of the Jews, then if we can participate in the lives of the Jews, if we can participate in some constructive way, then perhaps we can suggest that we are participating in the things that the living God is participating in. And wouldn't you like to get in on what God is doing and be a part of what he is doing? Well, this can always depend on your point of view. I mean, for example, when you consider that he sent the Assyrians to go and capture the Israelites and take them into captivity, and then he sent the Babylonians down into Judea to capture the rest of the Israelites and take them into captivity, he was intervening in the lives of Israel and in the lives of the Assyrians and in the lives of the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians, they succeeded in conquering the Jewish people. So if we want to suggest that we want to be a part of what God is doing, well, this may not be a circumstance that you want to be involved in. You may not want to be a part of the nation of Babylon going in and capturing and enslaving the remaining Israelites and taking them into captivity. That was divine intervention. The living God was participating in that, but I personally would not want to participate in that, even though that's what he was participating in. And so to suggest that we want to get involved in what God is doing, well, we have to be careful with that, because on occasion he might be doing something that we don't necessarily want to be involved in. Now, I'm not saying that he is doing something that is evil. I'm only saying that we do not necessarily have to participate in the work that he is doing, just because our participation could be expressed or could be recognized as evil to a certain extent, depending upon your point of view. So I don't want to suggest that just because God is actively involved, that doesn't mean that you have to be actively involved as well. Now, in a modern context, there is a similar issue, and that is that we can tell that the living God is divinely involved in the lives of the Jews today. And there are many Christians that have been participating in the things of Israel, and I can tell that their main motive is only because they want to get in on what God is doing. And so if they're participating with what God is doing, then they have a feeling, they have a sense that they are closer to God, that they are better connected with God, and that he will probably bless them in return. Let me give you a simple example. Consider the reconstruction of the temple in Israel. There is work presently being done in order to reconstruct the temple of Israel, and most of the money that has been provided for the reconstruction of the temple has been provided by Christians, mainly in the United States, that Christians have been giving a huge, a huge amount of money to the Temple Institute for the reconstruction of the temple there in Jerusalem. Now, there are, of course, many opportunities for them to give that money to other people, Jews even, who are perpetuating the gospel, but they're not willing to give that money to them. If they would have given that amount of money to missionaries or to people who are communicating the gospel, especially to those who are Jews, then there would be a significant impact. I'm telling you that a huge amount of money has been given to the Jews in Israel for the perpetuation of Judaism in order to participate in something that God is doing. 
But through doing that, they have neglected and they have not participated in the things of the gospel in order to perpetuate the message of Jesus as the Messiah. And that is a serious imbalance, to say the least. But people are actively involved in the lives of the Jews in whatever way they can. For the most part, there are many people who are like this because they believe that they will indirectly obtain blessings from God or that they want to participate in the things that God is doing, believing that they will be closer to God because of that. Now, there are other factors involved. For example, the promise that was given to Abraham that those who would bless him and his descendants would also be blessed by God. And so people are doing the best they can to bless Jewish people. Now, as far as I can tell, I'm not really the recipient of anything like that, although I'm a Jew and I'm of the household of faith. Why don't people contribute to the work that I'm doing? I have very, very few contributors to the work that I'm doing. If they really believe that, then they could use me in that way. They could give to me. They can bless the work that I am doing, and perhaps God will bless them in return. But you know what? I don't think people really believe that. I don't think that they really believe what they claim that they believe, because if they did, then I am providing them with a wonderful opportunity to do that. I don't want to encourage people to do that. Don't get me wrong. I'm only wanting to point out that people don't really believe what they claim that they really believe because they're not taking advantage of all the opportunities that they could take advantage of to do that. Now, if you do want to contribute to my work, please don't expect God to give you something in return. I really don't want to be a participant in something like that. That's not my intent. I'm only wanting to say that, to point that out, that in my own personal experience as I have interacted with a lot of Christians... Many of them have been very willing to contribute sacrificially to Jews who do not believe in Jesus in order to perpetuate Judaism, in order to perpetuate things that are not true and that reject Jesus as the Messiah. They're more than willing to do that, but they are definitely totally unwilling to support the work of other Jews who are perpetuating the message of Jesus as the Messiah. But aside from that, what I want you to understand is that people participate in these things and people want to be closer to Jews. And in many cases, people want to become like Jews because they want to be blessed. It is a purely selfish motive for themselves that there is an expectation that they are going to get something in return. Now, there are other people throughout many centuries. There are other people who have chosen to become Jews. They have decided to convert to Judaism. Within Christianity, there are many Christians who have decided to become like Jews while also believing that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, of course, they are definitely not welcome within the synagogues, and so what they have done is they have constructed their own synagogues. And most of these synagogues are referred to as messianic synagogues, whereas the vast majority, not all of them, but the vast majority of these synagogues are composed of Gentiles who want to be Jews or who believe that they are Jews or are trying to be Jews. And in many cases, the only Jews you ever find in these congregations are members of the leadership. Whereas if you're Jewish, then you can be an elder or a leader. And if you're not, well, we're not quite sure if you're in the right place, but you can definitely be part of the congregation. 
And this has been a very interesting phenomenon that has developed over the last 30 and 40 years, especially here in the United States, where people have pursued this. They have pursued Judaism, a life of Judaism. And I, of course, have been in many of these Messianic congregations. And I have asked people, I have asked people, you should do this too if you haven't done this, but you should go and ask these people, because I have asked these people, why are you doing this? What do you hope to gain by what you are doing, by what you are believing? What is your expectation concerning what you will get in return from God as a result of what you are doing? And in general, the answers are always the same. They expect to be blessed. That's what they expect. They expect God to intervene in a divine way and bless them. That is their expectation. And so there has been this continuation of people trying to become a Jewish person so that they can perhaps be blessed by God. Now, during the time of the early church, when the Apostle Paul was writing his letter to the Romans, he was writing his letter to people in Rome, and there were different people who were in Rome who would be the recipients of this letter. Some of the people would be Jews who believe in Jesus. Other people would be Gentiles who converted to Judaism who believe in Jesus. And others would, of course, be Gentiles who believe in Jesus but never converted to Judaism. But concerning the attraction of becoming a Jew, this was something that the church struggled with, and the church in Rome struggled with just as much as anybody else did during that time. And so Paul was writing to these people who had decided to convert for the purpose of being blessed by God, because that was the advertisement that was presented to people when the Pharisees went out to evangelize and to convert people to Judaism. There was an expectation that they would be blessed in return through what? Through obedience to the law. But Paul writes to the people and he says, listen, you might be interested in being a Jew. That might be appealing to you. But being a Jew is more than just being a Jew. Being a Jew is someone who has a sincere desire to know their God. That's what he says. Now, he doesn't say this for the purpose of encouraging people to be Jews. Of course, we know, because of everything else that he wrote, that he wanted people to recognize that they were new creations in Christ Jesus, where there is no Jew and there is no Gentile. But what he does use is people's attitudes, people's desires, people's interests in order to address these issues indirectly, in some cases, directly in others. But he will use this in order to confront people with important issues. And when it comes to the end of Romans chapter 2, he uses the subject of being a Jew in order to address a very specific issue. Beginning in Romans chapter 2, verse 25, he says, For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. All right, now listen, this is very important. He's not encouraging everybody to be like Jews. That's not what he's doing. He's addressing people who already want to be Jews or who are already Jews or who have been converted to Judaism. These are the people who he is addressing. You've got to keep reading in order to recognize that he's not trying to make everybody like a Jew. Initially, here in verse 25, he says that if you practice the law, then circumcision is of value. And if you don't practice the law, then it is of no value. 
Well, now, technically, people might practice the law, and if they are going to do it, then they need to do all of it, unless you want to live in denial of reality and suggest that you are actually living that way. But we know better, he knows better, and he explained in many places throughout the scriptures that it is not possible to live in obedience to the law. So if you are going to live, or if you're going to try to live in obedience to the law, then certainly circumcision is of value, it is applicable, because it's part of it. But if you fail to live in obedience to the law, then it is as if you are uncircumcised. It doesn't matter, it doesn't make any difference. That's the point. You either obey all of it, or you will obey none of it. You are either going to be judged on the basis of being fully obedient, or you are going to be judged on the basis of not being fully obedient. There is no halfway. There is no try. There is no best effort. None of that exists. That's his point and why he can say that a circumcised person could be recognized as if they are uncircumcised. Because technically, anyone who is a Jew who believes that their right standing before God is going to be obtained or sustained by their obedience to the law, anyone who fits in that category is going to discover that they are not. They have not been obedient, and so they are not going to be established rightly before their God, they are all going to be in a situation where it is as if they are Gentiles, no matter what. That's the bottom line. That's what he's saying here. He's explaining that those people who are Jews, who think that they're impressive, who have been passing judgment on other people because of their sins, these people who say that they are Jews, they're not really Jews, because their whole identity as a Jew is apparently defined by their obedience, but they are not being obedient, so they are not really Jews. He emphasizes this point by saying it's not a matter of what happens in your flesh, it's a matter of what happens in your heart. Continuing into verse 26, So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God." So what he says to these people is that you may think you're impressive and you may call yourself Jews, but you're doing so on the basis of your obedience to the law. The problem is is that you are not obedient to the law, and yet there are others who may be more righteous than you are if we were to measure their obedience in the way that they live, that they might live in a more righteous way than you do, and so they can be considered to be Jews not because they were circumcised or because they are focusing on the law of Moses, but because of the condition of their hearts, that their heart condition is much greater than the heart condition of these individuals. So what he's saying is, is that, listen, you might be impressive, those of you, those of you who suggest that you are Jews, but those who don't claim to be Jews are more impressive than you are. And so technically, these people are more Jewish 
than you are, that they are a Jew who is one inwardly because of the condition of their heart, whereas you are not. In fact, you have lost your Judaism. Now, again, the goal is not to be a Jew. The purpose of this is to show that no one, that no one is truly a Jew, because by using this comparison, he can suggest that if they say that they are Jews, then others are more so. But the reality is, is that neither group are obedient enough in order to be identified as holy and righteous. And so technically, neither group are Jews. So the objective is not to become a Jew. He's not saying that a person is a Jew who was one inwardly and that this is something that you are to aspire to. He's not saying that. He's not saying that this is something that you should aspire to. He's using the non-Jews to compare them with the Jews to show that the Jews are not as impressive as they think they are. And if they are going to be judged according to their works, then they are going to experience the wrath and indignation of God, just like the non-Jews will. If you think you are acceptable because you've got 75% obedience in your life, what about those people who don't even acknowledge the existence of God, and yet because of the way that they live, because of the condition of their heart, they're 80% obedient to God? You may be 75%, but these folks are 80%. That should be evidence to show you that if anybody's going to make it, they're going to make it where you're not if there's that 5% differential. But the reality is is that neither one is going to make it. That the objective is not to try to figure out how to get everybody to be a Jew in their heart. Don't read that into Romans chapter 2. It's not there. He's not expecting people to become Jews in their hearts. What he is expecting is for people to recognize that they are going to be the recipients of the wrath of God if they believe that their right standing before him is going to be defined according to their obedience to the law. Now, there is another perspective concerning this, and that is that the Jews were people who acknowledged the true and living God. Even though they didn't know him very well, they certainly did not know him as their Messiah, but they did know him to a limited extent, at least to an extent where they could distinguish him from the other gods that people believed in or created in their own minds. And so, to a certain degree, there is a desire to become like a Jew, but only to the extent that you would want to know the God who revealed himself to the Jews first. That is the limit that I am willing to go concerning the identification with the Jews, that you should know the God who the Jews encountered. You should know that God, but it doesn't mean that you have to become a Jew in order to do so. At the end of Romans chapter 2, verse 29, he says that we are to receive the praise that is from God, not from men. Now, when it comes to living a life of obedience to the commandments, one of the reasons why people do that is to be able to compare themselves with other people. And that's what I was describing at the end of Romans chapter 1, at the beginning of Romans chapter 2. That in many cases, people find this appealing because they have an opportunity to compare themselves with other people who are engaged in sins that they personally don't feel that they are engaged in. But that's the limit. That's the extent of people's religion, because God is not interested in those things. He is not relating to us on that level. He's not relating to people on the basis of their obedience, on their repentance. He's not relating to people on the basis of them being a Jew or a non-Jew or a Greek or a Gentile or anything like that. 
The praise that comes from God is a praise, is a recognition of people who believe him, who trust him. That is the kind of praise that we are to seek. You see, the bottom line is, is that we are never going to be obedient. That is why he forgave. If there was a way for us to live according to the law, there would be no need for forgiveness. You understand? There would be no need for forgiveness. There would be no need for mercy if you could just repent and obey. If that was the case, you would never have a need for it. But because we cannot obey, we cannot repent, he has provided forgiveness. And that forgiveness has not been provided in order to compensate for where we fall short. It is a forgiveness that has been provided to set us free entirely from the way of life that is futile, that is empty, that will lead nowhere. He has set us free from trying to live a life that we cannot live so that we can live another life that we can live. And the new life that we now have before us that we can now live in is a life that has to do with believing in him relying on him, trusting in him, and believing in him on the basis of what he has done and on the basis of what he has given, not a life focused on what we do or what we are going to give. Understand, there's a big difference between living with what he has done and what he has given versus you living on the basis of what you do and what you think you are going to give. Living a life according to what you think you're going to do or you are going to give is futile. It is an exercise of futility. But living a life on the basis of what you have and on the basis of what he has done opens a door into a new experience of peace and rest and participation in what God is doing as opposed to being preoccupied with what you are doing. There are new opportunities that get opened up to us as a result of that. Now, in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul does speak about the advantage of being a Jew. What was the advantage? The oracles of God. In Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Well, that's true. And so what is the value of having the oracles of God, or more specifically, the law of God, the prophets, the writings, all of it? What is the value of that? It gives you a head start. That's what it is. It gives you a head start to get you started down this road that has a dead end so that you can get to that dead end much faster. Once you hit that dead end, then you realize that trying to live a life of repentance and obedience is impossible, and you can turn to him For who he is, you can turn to him for what he has done. It can get you through this much faster if you will pursue the law with your whole heart. It will eventually lead you to despair and in a condition where you can receive the mercy of God. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 
or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.